I'm Elizabeth Esty for the Emergency Medical Minute. It's been 19 days since the World Health Organization declared COVID-19 a global pandemic. We have now exceeded 1 million confirmed COVID cases on the planet, and 52,983 people are estimated to have died. Italy and Spain still lead the world in deaths attributed to COVID, with almost 14,000 Italians dead of COVID and 10,300 and some Spanish residents killed by this disease. In the United States, we have a total of 243,000 and some confirmed COVID cases and almost 6,000 deaths. New York State continues to lead the U.S. with almost 100,000 confirmed cases, and they also account for almost half of the death toll at 2,373 people. Here in Colorado, we have 3,700 and some confirmed COVID cases with 710 people hospitalized and 97 deaths to date. As of yesterday, 20,400 some people had been tested for COVID. In our coverage of COVID-19 this week, we've investigated the shaky evidence for NSAID use making COVID worse, heard firsthand accounts from ED clinicians with COVID, and looked at the status of testing in the United States. Before capping our week of coverage, we wanted to analyze some of the most recent literature on clinical interventions for COVID. In our emailed newsletter last week, we summarized a paper titled Remdesivir and Chloroquine Effectively Inhibit the Recently Emerged Novel Coronavirus, which demonstrated chloroquine's ability to prevent replication and spread of SARS-CoV-C in vitro. In vitro, of course, means in glass not in mammals or humans. This study prompted the very limited clinical trial by Gautreaux that we addressed last week, which reported improvement in a small group of patients following treatment with hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin. On March 28th, the FDA approved hydroxychloroquine for emergency and compassionate use. On the 30th of March, Molina published a paper titled, quote, No Evidence of Rapid Antiviral Clearance or Clinical Benefit with the Combination of Hydroxychloroquine and Azithromycin in Patients with Severe COVID-19 Infection, which followed exactly the same regimen as Gautreaux, but had dramatically different results. In Molina's study, 11 very sick COVID patients were given identical meds to the Gautreaux study at the same doses and intervals. One of those 11 patients died. One had a prolonged QT interval, and meds were discontinued for that reason. Nasopharyngeal swabs on the 10 living patients were assayed by PCR, and 8 out of 10 were still positive for SARS-CoV-2. Yes, this study is small, and further research may be warranted, but there's no indication that hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin is of benefit in sick COVID patients. I'll be talking more about this study in a few minutes. The data on hydroxychloroquine so far does not support the initial enthusiasm President Trump and others had expressed for it. I'd like to look now at results of a preprint uploaded on March 31st that it continues this train of basically uninspiring studies. Researchers out of Renmin Hospital of Wuhan University conducted a randomized controlled trial to investigate the efficacy of hydroxychloroquine for treating COVID-19. This trial was conducted in February, and it was composed of 62 COVID-19 patients. This is about double the number that Gautreaux used. Of note, the 62 patients included in the study were selected from a pool of 142 patients admitted to the hospital in Wuhan with positive COVID tests and pneumonia on chest CT. 
These were fairly young patients with an average age of 44. It's important to note that more than half of patients from that pool, initial pool of 142, were excluded. Patients were excluded from the study if their condition was critical, if they had severe underlying conditions such as liver or renal disease, or if they had a history of retinopathy or arrhythmias, both of which are known side effects of Plaquenil use. Of note, they were also excluded if they were judged likely to be transferred. In other words, more than half of the patients, the sick half, were excluded. All 62 patients in the study received standard care, with the treatment group also receiving 200 milligrams hydroxychloroquine BID for five days. The outcomes of interest were time to clinical recovery, which the researchers defined as returned to normal body temperature and cough relief. They also tracked CT changes. Body temperature and a subjective report of cough severity were obtained three times a day. A chest CT was obtained prior to treatment and on day six. Body temperature normalized faster in the 22 patients with fever in the hydroxychloroquine group with an average of 2.2 days till fever resolution compared to 3.2 days for the 17 patients with fever from the control group. Note that these patients, not all of these patients even had fevers. The 22 patients in the hydroxychloroquine group with cough reportedly had, quote, significantly reduced length of persistent cough compared to the 15 patients with cough from the control group, but no quantitative results were provided. The authors also mention that four participants, all from the control group not receiving hydroxychloroquine, progressed to, quote, severe illness, unquote. I don't know if this is in fact notable. It's been way too long since stats for me to attempt the math, but I don't know how statistically significant this is. More important, the authors don't define severe illness at all. They don't indicate whether these patients were intubated or whether they lived or died even. And remember, they pre-printed this more than a month after their trial. Plenty of time to figure this out. I'm guessing that if four control patients had died, they would have mentioned that. As it is, this looks to me like a study conducted on a group of patients who are all very likely to get better anyway. The authors conclude that hydroxychloroquine treatment reduced the risk of progression to severe illness, but that seems to me a bit of a misinterpretation of these results. They don't even try to give a p-value for that, though they do have a table that suggests statistically significant not-quite-one-day reduction in resolution of fever and improvement of cough. That's something, I guess, but why take a drug with side effects that people with autoimmune disease actually need, it's now in short supply thanks to Plaquenil hype, to shorten symptoms by a day? The authors do present a p-value of 0.476 for the impact of hydroxychloroquine treatment on chest CT before and after treatment. I just don't know what to make, though, of a p-value to three significant figures that's based on four subjective interpretations of chest CT findings. The emergency medical minute really needs a staff statistician. Pending that person volunteering to do the work, I think that we have to take this with a big grain of salt. It would be interesting to look at the natural history of CT findings in COVID-19 and to take a deeper dive into the relationship of CT findings and clinical outcomes. Stay tuned for a look at the role of radiographic and ultrasound findings in COVID management. While the numbers here are larger than the numbers in the Molina study, Molina looked at people who were actually sick and found that Gautre's Plaquenil Zithromax cocktail did none of them any real good. Well, maybe it did good for those 2 out of 10 whose PCRs were negative, but while there is a chance that that result cheered them up, there's no indication of clinical benefit. This is the moment where we remind you that like any medication, hydroxychloroquine has its risks. 
two patients from the hydroxychloroquine treatment group here did have mild adverse reactions to the drug, and hydroxychloroquine is known to cause retinopathy, rash, headaches, and arrhythmias. This is also the point in the story where we're supposed to say, at this point, larger trials are warranted. And maybe that is true. It is possible that Molina's study looked at patients who were simply too sick to show benefit from hydroxychloroquine, and that the study from Renmin Hospital looked at patients who were really too well to see benefit. There may be a subset of moderately ill patients for whom the risk-benefit ratio with hydroxychloroquine supports its use. While there has been a lot of possibly unfounded hope and optimism around hydroxychloroquine and chloroquine, at some point researchers might better direct their energies into investigating more promising treatments. Thank you for listening, and thanks to Nate Novotny for his research and writing of this story. 